Um, the, uh, the last but one verse there, I can't take credit for the uh, songs this morning. Uh, Chris, Chris chose them. I asked him if he would, because uh, he's much better at doing it than me. Um, and he's, uh, he has done really, really well. And uh, that verse really, in a way, sums up what we're going to be talking about today, because it talks about obedience, so obedience in, in our actions, uh, humility, um, and faith. And that really, those are the three things that we're going to be talking about this morning. Because those are the three things that Jesus addresses um, as he talks to the disciples in the passage that we're going to be looking at. He, he, he addresses um, how we should behave as disciples. He then talks a little bit about faith. Um, and then he talks about uh, humility. Um, and all three, of course, are related. And that's what we're going to be uh, talking about uh, this morning. Uh, as you know, I always take the opportunity uh, when I preach uh, to put up a famous, or sometimes not so famous, painting. Uh, this is sort of middlingly famous, I would say. Um, so if you, if you haven't seen it before, don't recognise it, I uh, don't blame you. Um, this is, uh, and I don't know how quite how you pronounce his name, but uh, probably with a lisp. So Velazquez, I don't know, something like that. Uh, anyway, Diego de Velazquez, uh, the, uh, the Spanish painter, he painted this in 1618, um, and it's now in the National Gallery in London, so you don't have to go to Spain to see it. Um, what you've got, um, it appears there, is a very miserable servant. Uh, that's, I, think, you know, you, um, I think you've got a servant there who's preparing a meal for her master uh, and mistress, and uh, it's probably been given some advice that she really doesn't want from the older servant. Um, but if you can see it, um, and it was difficult for me to blow this up far enough, but you can see that through, like it seems to be through the window, um, you've got um, a, something else going on. And actually, strangely, because this is a picture of somebody in 1618, through the window you can see Jesus with Martha and Mary. So I, there's various theories about what, exactly what's going on here, but um, but it seems to be that maybe uh, that's what the servant is, is thinking about um, and thinking, you know, how does that relate to my situation? Well, obviously, what the, Mar- the Martha and Mary story is about the importance of Jesus being central in our lives and that we mustn't get caught up in busyness um, and, and lose sight of the main thing. And, uh, and in a way, that's a little bit what's going on in the passage here today because Jesus is trying to clarify some things and get some priorities sorted out and say, if you're living for me, uh, these are the kind of things that are important. Um, and we're going to talk about how we are God's servants as well. But I hope we can be God's servants without being miserable like that. Um, that's what we're going to uh, talk about. So, uh, this, is the, um, uh, this is the passage. Now, Chris gave me uh, three uh, headings, forgiveness, faith and service. I think faith and service are exactly right for what I want to say. Forgiveness, though, I think um, in that first section, um, verses 1 to 4, there's, there's, as you will see, there's more than forgiveness in there. And I don't, I don't particularly want to major on forgiveness, so I'm going to try and give um, the three different things that I think are going on in there um, uh, good weight each. But that's broadly what we're going to do. We're going to look at um, verses 1 to 4 as a section, um, and I call that action the actions that we need to be taking as, as Christians, one of which is forgiveness. Um, and then um, I've talked about ambition, how, how our, our ambition as Christians should be focused, 
um, and that is about faith. And then finally, our attitude in, uh, in service. Um, some tough messages, actually, as we go through. But those are the three sections that we're going to uh, look at. But first, let's, let's just sort of clear the decks a little bit. Um, if you notice, um, in uh, the, the, uh, the start of the, the chapter, we've moved now. If you, if you remember, the last few weeks we've been looking at Jesus talking to the Pharisees. And now, uh, Jesus is now talking to his disciples. So there's a, there's a change. Um, how much time has elapsed between the two? We don't know. Um, it could be quite a while, because obviously what we get is an edited um, version of Jesus' life. So it could, this could be you know, now sometime later. But he's now talking uh, to the disciples. So the audience has changed. That's really important, because the audience now, in effect, is directly to people like us people who have decided to, to follow Jesus. So that's really important to understand. Um, and secondly, um, there's a question, um, which was the same question as we had a couple of weeks ago with, with Chris. Uh, is this a jump draw? In other words, um, is this um, <clears throat> Luke having put together different things that Jesus said at different times to the disciples and just put them together in this uh, little section? Um, or is, is this a conversation? Is this, uh, is this a, a, an entire conversation, if you like? Jesus talking to the disciples and one bit follows on from the other bit. Well, you, when you ask a question like that, you go, to, um, you go to the commentators and you see what they say. And actually, I think the old economist joke applies to com- commentators. Now, Daniel's just gone off to, his, um, to Newcastle. Uh, to study economics, and I, I said to him last week, do you know all the economist jokes? Um, and some, of the two, some are too long to tell you this morning, but I'll tell you two. Um, the first one is, um, if you put all the economists end to end, they still wouldn't reach a conclusion. That's the first one, uh, which I've always enjoyed. And the second one is, um, if you get ten economists in a room, you've got thirteen opinions. <laughs> And uh, uh, I think it's a bit like that with commentators, um, because what I found here was different commentators had different opinions, and at least one, if not two commentators, had at least two opinions. So, uh, so there is, there is a, a variety of opinion about whether this is a junk draw or a conversation. I think it's a conversation. I think what, what's happening here, and I'll just sort of <coughs> explain this before we uh, get into the meat of it, I think what's happening is that Jesus gives the disciples some advice about behaviour, and that's broadly 17, 1 to 4. On hearing this, the disciples go, oh, there's no way, there's no way we can do this. So we need more faith. Give us more faith. I think the reaction to what Jesus is asking is, you know, it's impossible. We can't do that. You're asking too much, Jesus. Um, So, you know, you're going to have to give us more faith. I think that's what's going on. Jesus then um, responds to their request for more faith. Um, But then Jesus also adds in a warning. Because, of course, if you are successful in an aspect of the Christian life, if you you do achieve great things for God, isn't there a temptation to pride? And I think Jesus recognises that here and deals with it. So my my guess is it is a conversation. um, But as I said... um, there are, different, there are different views. Um, we're going to treat it as a conversation as we go through, um, and, uh, and we're going to look at each bit 
uh, in turn. So, uh, first of all, uh, verses 1 to 4. Um, well, it starts off talking about temptations. And actually, the word used here for temptation is uh, really bait. It's the idea of there being uh, something really nice and attractive and tempting that you really shouldn't get involved with. That's what's going on here. So when when um, when Jesus talks about uh, temptation here, he's talking about you know that nice, that lovely, that attractive thing that you really shouldn't get involved with. Um, and then he says those things are all around us. So what does that mean for uh, people's uh, for, for the way in which we behave in church? And he comes up with. Um, three things that he really wants to talk about uh, modelling, uh, correcting and uh, forgiving and that's, that's what we're going to be talking about now when you get um, when you get sort of advice uh, I immediately think about these, these self help books so um, the, one that I came, the one that I immediately came to mind was Seven Habits of Highly Effective People now you know I have always wanted to be highly effective um, you know that's been a, a dream of mine so, you know, obviously this is the book that you would go to, you know, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And I have to confess here that I did use, the, the, um, just like, it's interesting actually, just like Billy Graham, now uh, his you know, ministry is carried on by Franklin Graham, not very well, I would say, but anyway, that's my personal opinion. Um, not, not anywhere near as well as his father did. Uh, but uh, Stephen Covey's mission is carried on by his son, Franklin Covey. There's a little coincidence for you. Um, and Franklin Covey has written a book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective Teenagers, which I, <laughs> I know, which I actually bought and used a little bit in school. So it's not, we're not talking complete rubbish here. In actual fact, what Stephen Covey said, if you want to sum- summarise it, is it's not about personality, it's about character. And you read that and you think that's absolutely right but of course Jesus was saying that 2,000 years ago um, and saying a lot more besides so so many of these books they're actually just saying what the Bible has told us already uh, a long time ago Um, and this is crucially about character it's about what does Christian character look like in practice well in practice Jesus is saying it looks like uh, it looks like modelling it looks like correcting, and it looks like forgiving. And I put modelling everybody a leader, because actually when Jesus addresses the disciples, what he's clear about is that um, we, as disciples, have a responsibility to other disciples. We have a responsibility to each other. So in a sense, we're all leading, we're all exhibiting leadership characteristics, because we're all helping uh, to lead each other. And... Uh, Um, And the first thing that we've got to do is we've got to prevent other people uh, in the church falling into temptation. Now, a lot of the commentators suggest that the way we do that is not to upset them, not to give offence. Well, okay, I get that. But actually, there's a lot more to it than that. It's actually about modelling the way to live the Christian life to other people. And you're hoping that they're doing it to you, um, and in that way, um, you don't get, you know, you don't get people falling into temptation. 
So if you show them how uh, to live, um, then uh, they were more likely to live in the right way and vice versa. So for example, um, in Galatians 5 verse 13, um, Paul says, uh, do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. We are very, we're free as Christians, obviously, we've been forgiven, we're living under grace. But he says, don't use your freedom to indulge your sin, sinful nature, rather serve one another in love. It's about helping other people uh, to avoid uh, the pitfalls that there may be um, in uh, the Christian life. And I've uh, highlighted 1 Thessalonians 1, 6-7, which I preached about a while ago, actually. And this is a great passage. And this is what it says. And you, Paul says to the Thessalonians, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. So what's, what's going on there? I'll just read it again. All right? And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. So the, the Thessalonians heard the gospel from Paul, saw how Paul was living, and they, in following that, in the strength and the joy of the Holy Spirit, so with God's help, themselves became an example to other believers. So it reinforces. So <coughs> if we listen to God's word, if we look at the example of other Christians, and we live in the right way, then that will support others. And if they're doing it, then it supports us. So, the first thing that Jesus is saying is, you know, it's tough being a Christian. There are loads of temptations out there. There are loads of reasons why it could get difficult. There's strength in our all living in the right way because we are then becoming an example one for another. So when you live in the right way, you are helping others. And Jesus says, if you don't do that, it's not just about what's happening to you, but you then have a responsibility for what's happening to other people. So if you're not being helpful in the way that you live to those around us, you bear responsibility for what happens to them. And it's so important, he says, that it would, if you do that, if you let people down by living in the wrong way, if you give them the wrong idea of what a Christian life should look like, then you know it would be better for you that you had a millstone around your neck and you're you know, thrown into the sea. That's how serious it is. So modelling the Christian life is not just about getting it right for us. It's about getting it right for all the people around us as well. It's that important. Uh, the next thing that Jesus says, uh, you thought that was tough, uh, the next thing that Jesus says is um, he talks about rebuking or correcting other people. So now we've got another responsibility. The responsibility not just to live in the right way, but if we see others not getting it right, to actually tell them. Now, when I was a, when I was a head teacher, <clears throat> one of the things that, um, that Ofsted always wanted to know, and you know, you could see this guy at the, at the other end of the table to you, Ofsted inspector, dark suit, grim expression, never led a school, never done your job, so, you know, 
but he, but he, know, he knows how to do it. You know, he's never done it, but he knows how to do it. And he leans over the table and he says, Mr. Hughes, are you having the difficult conversations? And I know he's never had to have a difficult conversation in his life. Because when that officer inspector's come, it's not a conversation, they just tell you. In fact, well, they ask questions and then they tell you. He's not had that difficult conversation with a member of staff who's uh, not really doing a very good job or, you know, frankly, is not able to do a very good job. You know, he's not had that difficult conversation, but he always wants to know if you've had it. Have you, Mr. Hughes, had those difficult conversations? Well, they are difficult, those conversations, and I found them difficult, and I didn't enjoy them, but I did used to have them as a head teacher. What Jesus is saying is actually sometimes in the Christian church, any of us might be put in a position where we have to have that difficult conversation. You see somebody doing something that really they shouldn't, and maybe you're the best person to have that conversation with them. could be all sorts of reasons for that. It may be that only you know about it, and it's not appropriate that other people should know about it. Maybe you're their, you know, you're a really good friend of them, so you're in a better position to say that. What Jesus is saying is that those difficult conversations cannot be ducked. You need to have them. Um, David Watson calls uh, these conversations that, that might go on in the church a vital expression of care. Because if you see somebody getting it wrong, you've got a responsibility to tell them. Now, you do it with care, you do it with gentleness, you do it with discretion. And I think this is really important. You do it, if you have to do it, um, ensuring that your concerns are biblical, not cultural or personal. So if you feel somebody's getting it wrong, um, and you feel that you're the, the person to speak to them, make sure that your concerns are biblical, not cultural or personal. And remember too that ultimately authority rests in the church. So it may be necessary, um, and you can, you can see this, in, in Jesus talks about this in Matthew 18, verses 15 to 17, where he gives very specific uh, instructions about where something's going wrong in the church. It may be that you need to get other people involved. And of course, very often you may need to get advice or, you know, um, and, and talk to Chris or, or Mike about it. But Jesus is saying that, in effect, all disciples may be in a position, I believe, uh, to, to have that difficult conversation at some point. Um, we can't duck it. It's another responsibility that we have. So just as we've got a responsibility to other people by living in the right way, so we've got a responsibility, if they're not living in the right way, not to ignore it. And it may be that not ignoring it means that we have to speak to them, quite possibly. Um, so it's a, it's a tricky area, um, but we cannot duck that responsibility. Galatians 6 verse 1, Paul says, Restore the sinning brother or sister in a spirit of gentleness. So two pieces of advice there. You have to do it, but you have to do it in the right way. Um, so I'm not... Don't get me wrong, I'm not now telling everyone to rush out and criticise everybody. Um, remember, it's got to be biblical, not cultural or personal. You've got to be clear that it's right for you to do it. But equally what I'm saying is sometimes it is right for you to do it. It may be your job. And if you refuse to countenance that it may be your job to say to somebody else that's not quite what you should be doing, 
then you're ducking a responsibility that you've been given. So two responsibilities already. One, to live, to model uh, the Christian life uh, for the benefit of others around you. And secondly, uh, if necessary, uh, to talk to other people about how they are living. Finally, Jesus says, um, and this is obviously to balance off the you need to talk to people when they're getting something wrong, is the need for forgiveness. Um, and it's interesting, isn't it? The disciples here are aghast at the idea of having to uh, forgive somebody seven times in a day. You know, the idea of uh, having to keep um, forgiving. Well, I've got 490 and counting because, of course, elsewhere, when Peter asks Jesus about, do I need to uh, forgive my brother seven times? Jesus says, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven, which is 490. And that, obviously Jesus doesn't mean specifically count up until it's 490 and then after that you don't have to. What he means is you just have to keep on doing it. And that's what he's saying here as well. You just have to keep forgiving. And that's another difficult thing. You know, we won't all say, well, yeah, no, okay, you know, I'm quite good at forgiving, but what if that person does the same thing again and again and again? Can you keep forgiving them? Yes, you have to. You have to keep forgiving them. Now, that doesn't mean to say, uh, Jesus is clear, it doesn't mean to say that we put up with people behaving in the wrong way in the church. No, we don't. But we keep forgiving each other. And we keep forgiving each other, um, you know, when when we're irritated by things people do, when, when whatever it is, we keep forgiving. And this is why I think it's a conversation. Um, because the, uh, the disciples, I think, then, react to that. When they've heard what we've just heard, and they think about how challenging the Christian life is, they go, ah, we need more faith. We can't do it. So they say, Give us more faith. And I think this is where uh, Jesus um, responds to them. Now, I don't know if, you, if you're like me, but I love these, um, these sort of, you get them on cards, don't you? These things where the, the maths questions. So, you know, find X. Yeah, here it is. <laughs> I just love those. There's loads of them like that. And, and, and I, I absolutely love them. And I taught maths um, until fairly recently. And, and so appreciated them even more. Um, particularly, you know, when I would be uh, asking the, the students to find X, and I was just sort of waiting for one of them to come up with the, the smart answer. Um, it's about really what this section is about is about how you look at it. How you, it's about looking at something a little bit differently. Um, now, first of all, why mustard and mulberry? Well, it literates nicely in um, in English, uh, so as we know. Uh, Chris and uh, Steve would would, uh, would appreciate that, but but of course it doesn't alliterate in the Greek, so that's not what's going on here. <laughs> what's what is going on then? Well, we know why this, why Jesus picks a mustard seed when he's when he uh, when he's talking about faith because it's so tiny. So he's chosen a tiny tiny seed um, because he wants he's going to be he wants to be dramatic here, he's making a dramatic point. Why mulberry tree? Well, uh, it appears, um, a, a lot of the commentators say this, I didn't know this until I researched this, so it's really interesting. Uh, the, the Pharisees, sorry, not Pharisees, the, the, um, uh, the scribes um, used to say, maybe some of the Pharisees, used to say that uh, the mulberry tree had some of the deepest roots of any tree. Um, that may just be a fact. But then they went further and they said, and 
the roots would stay rooted for 600 years. I'm not quite sure why they said that, but apparently they did. Um, and so Jesus knows that. I mean, he was well-versed in, in all the, uh, the teachings of the scribes. And he says he's chosen the tree that would be the most difficult to uproot. So what's he done? Well, he's, contra- he's done a contrast here. He's chosen the smallest seed and he's chosen the toughest uh, tree. Um, so if you have tiny, tiny faith, you can, you can lift up, if you like, the, the tree that is most deeply rooted and get it uh, to move into the sea. It's a very pictorial, dramatic way of making a point. What point is he trying to make? Well, first of all, it's really important to know, he's not saying evangelize with miracles. You know, he's not saying what we should all do now as Christians is go out and, and do all these super um, miracles in order to get people evangelized, uh, in order to bring people into the um, kingdom. No, he's not saying that. He's saying um, something about the way we look at our relationship uh, with God. He's not saying um, go out and evangelize with miracles, and we know that because elsewhere, Matthew 16, 4, he says, An evil and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So the sign that people have is Jesus' death and resurrection. That's the sign, and so we go out and preach Christ crucified and Christ resurrected. That's how we get people um, to understand the gospel. Paul says the same, doesn't he? For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. So this is not a call to a, 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 a sort of a ministry of signs and wonders. That's not what it is. So what is it? Well, for me, it's about the top thing there. Um, Stephen Covey uh, writes for us a self-help book, but this is a God-help book. So this is about Jesus saying, actually, it's not about you having to have more faith. It's not about you having to be super spiritual. It's not about you becoming some sort of super Christian. Actually, it's about you trusting God. That is what I think um, Jesus is saying. He wants us to see things differently, a bit like the, uh, the find X. He wants us to realise that it's not all about us. We don't have to worry about us. We don't have to worry about whether we've got lots and lots of faith or whether we, you know, we can perform miracles or whether we can do this or do the other. Actually, it's about how we trust God. Um, what we need is not great faith, but faith in a great God. That's what he's saying, I believe. Um, we need to trust God to do it through us. So he's laid down all these expectations, if you like, in, in, um, in talking about modelling, in talking about correcting, in talking about forgiving. The disciples have gone, we can't do that. And he's saying, yes, you can, with God's help. That's what he's saying. Um, so it's not about you know us looking at ourselves and saying, I couldn't possibly do it. I don't have the faith, I don't have the skills, I don't have the talents, I don't have the knowledge. No, it's about us realising that we do it with God's help. In Luke 18, 27, uh, when um, after Jesus is talking about the, um, the, the difficulties that rich people have, 
getting into heaven is the power of the, uh, you know, the eye of the needle. And he's saying, you know, really difficult for rich people to get into heaven because they cling on to the things that they have. Um, the disciples say to him, well, you know, how can anybody? Because they, they're all probably looking at themselves thinking, well, I quite like this or I quite like the other. Uh, they're saying, how, how then? How then can anybody be saved? And Jesus says, what is impossible with men is possible with God. And that, I think, is what he's saying here again. Um, if, we looked, if we look at our own situation here in Otley, you know, um, I don't know how many people here um, this morning, you know, 25, um, how many people in just in Otley, 14,000, same in Ilkley, more, you know, in Burley. How on earth, how on earth do we begin to make a difference? And we look at ourselves and we think, well, you know, I'm getting on a bit. Um, I've got a, you know, I've got a dodgy knee. Um, I don't know the Bible terribly well. I'm useless in my prayer life. I'm blah, blah, blah. How? How? That's what the disciples said. How? How can we possibly do it? And Jesus is saying, what is impossible with men is possible with God. And we just have to believe that. That's what we have to believe, that it is possible with God. And then we do the things that Jesus asks us to do. And trust that God will support us and strengthen us in doing them. That is what Jesus is saying. Leon Morris says, Genuine faith can accomplish what experience, reason, and profitability would deny. So if we've got genuine faith, that's what we can do. But, <laughs> sorry, apologies. <laughs> um, but there's a danger. Because if we do begin, when we begin to achieve great things for God, there's a danger, isn't there, that we begin to think in ego. That we begin to think, aren't we, aren't we doing well? I love, um, I love the screw tape letters. Um, and I love this, uh, this one. Uh, your patient has become humble. Have you drawn his attention to that fact? <laughs> isn't that great? Um, it's so easy, isn't it? You know. And, and, um, and of course, Trump um, you know, claims to be a Christian. Um, I don't know. Um, he, he's a classic, isn't he? If, if you go on, if you type Donald Trump humility into Google search, right, there's, there's a lot comes up, all right? Um, he speaks a lot about his humility in all sorts of different and interesting ways. Um, my favourite... Um, he said to one interviewer, I'm much more humble than I think you'd understand. <laughs> okay, he said at some other occasion, I think, I'm much more humble than almost everybody else or, or something like that. Um, he, he, says, he says it all the time. Um, he is an incredibly humble man, uh, according to himself. Um, but there is a danger, isn't there? You know, if we begin to achieve things, if our, you know, when, when our church grows... You know, um, it's interesting. My, my mum's church, she started with some other people, a church in 1979. And the first Sunday, there would have been about the same number of people there as are here this morning, possibly slightly fewer. Uh, the church now, I think they get about 250 on a Sunday morning. Um, and uh, they have to have two services. Um, they have talked about church planting, although they seem to have um, edged away from it. Um, that church would not exist were it not for her. 
That's, that's just a statement of fact. Um, you know, she uh, was used by God to do something really significant. Um, she never thinks about it like that, actually, which is how it should be. Uh, because, you know, it, you, you've got to stay humble. It's so important, and, and it's, it's so easy not to. Um, so responding to God's grace uh, demands humility. Um, John Owen said, there are two things that are suited to humble the souls of men. And they are, first, a due consideration of God, and then of themselves. Of God, his greatness, glory, holiness, power, majesty, authority. Think about God like that, that should keep us humble. But then, of ourselves, in our mean, abject, and sinful condition. Um, They don't quite put it like that anymore, do they? But, you know, in our mean, abject, and sinful condition. When we see the gap between us and God, that brings humility. And what Jesus talks about here is about the servant. And obviously, you know, he was um, living in a society where there were lots of servants. There were a lot, there were, you know, there's a big gap between rich and poor. And the servants, their job was just to get the meal on the table. Just to get, uh, you know, the, the food in from the fields. Just to get the stuff cleaned, whatever it was. And they didn't, you know, they didn't think anything of it. They just did it. And because that was what they did. And that's what Jesus says we should be like when we serve God. God is great. We're not great. There's a huge gap. God has done great things for us, and we respond to that in gratitude by serving Him without, you know, without getting grumpy, like the servant in the Velasquez painting. Without getting grumpy, we just serve God because that's what we should do, and we're humble um, in our service. And that's a that's a counter to you know the the. The fact that if we are successful in our Christian lives, and why shouldn't we be as a church successful in God's strength, then uh, we have to stay humble. Philippians 2 verses 5 to 7, you, you'll know it so well. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. We sang about the servant king and about how we respond to the servant king as servants. And I finish with this example because I loved it. Uh, it's Tim Chester, and you will notice you got the chance to go and hear Tim Chester um, preach uh, if you want to in a couple of weeks' time, um, or maybe it's next week. Uh, he says, he gives this example. I remember a missionary visiting us, someone who'd moved across continents. That's a big choice to make for you and your family. But he never did the small things. He never offered to help with the washing up, never cleaned the table. It made me wonder whether he'd crossed continents because he treasured Christ or because he treasured his reputation. And we prove our humility, don't we, by how we speak, how we act. But I think we prove it in the small things. Um, You know, God forbid that any of us should ever not want to you know, help out with the, with the small things. Um, and, and I'm going to say this because he's not here, and I can say it. Um, one of the things I really noticed about Chris as a pastor 
is, um, yes, he thinks big, which is great. I love that. But he also does the small things. He's a very humble guy. And I think, you know, we're talking about um, taking, you know, our example from each other, modelling it for each other. I think he models it. And uh, I think he does really well in that. And, and what I would like is for us all, you know, to go out of here today thinking, how can we model it? Are we prepared to have the difficult conversation if needs be? Are we prepared to keep forgiving and forgiving and forgiving? Do we believe that we don't have to be special? We just have to trust God? And are we willing to do the little things and show our humility in the way that we behave? Amen. Please stay standing and we'll say that last uh, verse again together as a prayer as we finish. We will stand as children of the promise. We will fix our eyes on him, our soul's reward. Till the race is finished and the work is done, we'll walk by faith and not by sight.